This is Michael Miracle, producer of the I Work For Him radio program. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast. You can catch the show live weekdays from 3 o'clock until 4, locally in Tampa Bay on AM 570 and 910 WTBN and online at letstalkfaith.com and iheartradio.com. And swing by our website for all things I Work For Him at iworkforhim.com. That's iwork4him.com. And now, today's podcast broadcast. You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio. Thanks for tuning into I Work For Him today as Martha and I welcome you. Thanks for tuning in. Martha, we've got people listening all over the world today. Well, okay, maybe not today, but eventually they'll be listening to us. Well, yes. <laughs> so, so, so say hello to everybody today. Oh, hi, everybody. We're so glad that you've joined us and hope that today's show has a topic that really um, encourages you and maybe gives you something new to think about. All right, so we're asking the question today, who is my neighbor? Jesus was asked this question and it led to a super long story that ruffled a tremendous amount of feathers in the religious bunches of Israel. What did he say that ticked people off so much? Well, in Luke 10, said this, One day an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So we know who our neighbor is. What are we supposed to do with that information? What does it really mean to be a good Samaritan? Because we know the story after the good, he tells the story of the good Samaritan. But the question is, what does it really mean to be a good Samaritan? As a Christ follower, have you lost the art of being a good neighbor? Or do you practice it regularly? Here to help us out with this conversation today. Our radio friend extraordinaire with over 40 years radio experience, Don Hawkins, is joining us today talking about his book that he put out a few years ago called Friends in D, but it's all about the incredible story of the Good Samaritan, which never grows old. Don Hawkins, welcome back to I Work For Him. Thank you, Jim. Martha, good to be with you guys. I really appreciate your ministry, and I work for him. Well, talk to us about what's going on with your ministry, and how is the Lord moving in your life back in Radio Land there in Texas? Well, as you know, uh, back in the days of the Great Recession, 2008-2009, we began to experience challenges with our program life perspectives. Ever since then, we've been working on getting back on the air. I've also been learning a lot of lessons, Jim, on the subject of waiting on the Lord, uh, something that most of us don't really relish or enjoy, uh, something we probably wouldn't choose to do. One of the things I've learned is that God often has a plan that's different from ours, It often doesn't work on the same time schedule, but it's always better. One of the things that's happened during this time, we've relocated to Texas. I think last time we were on I Work For Him, uh, we had just relocated here. Uh, We've also cultivated two major sponsors for when we go back on the air, and we've been able to give a lot of attention to developing a network of Christian-based life coaches who can be of great help to people all over the world, literally. And uh, obviously, it's taken some time waiting for a lot of these things to come together. We're still doing some of that, but we're excited about the prospect of maybe getting back on the air with a rebranded program late in the evening called Encouragement Live. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage you and Martha, I know you guys have been praying for us. Kathy and I are praying that this will come about during 2017. 
Well, we will pray along with you on that, and we want to be part of that deal. We've talked about this. We really want to be part of that. So it, it uh, yes. we're hoping that the Lord moves. He always makes it clear what he wants when mm-hmm. he's ready. It's just a matter of us getting ready for this. <laughs> well, and I'm very excited about you guys being involved with me in this program. And I, I just see a lot of mutuality in our ministry, our philosophy, our approach, and uh, the whole area of encouragement, which is really what the book uh, Friends Indeed is all about. It's biblical concept of encouragement built around the parable of Good Samaritan. Well, you know, was there something, Don, in your life that happened that caused you to spend so much time and so much energy into writing this book, Friends Indeed, the lost, recovering the lost art of being a good neighbor? Was there something that prompted this in your life? Well, it's interesting, Jim, that you would ask that, because I, as I thought back over it, I hadn't thought of anything at first. And then I remembered a trip we took to Colorado. And I've been wrestling with life mission and things like that that are always good to wrestle with and had gone through some changes in my life. And uh, spending some time in Colorado, I was looking up at the mountains there, and there were two high peaks that were higher than the others. And I was studying the Word and came across where Jesus said the great commandment. He was asked that question, what is the greatest commandment? And he basically answered with two answers. He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I really built the book around that, and you probably noticed when you're reading it Mm -hmm. that the early chapters in the book revolved around that. And my primary gift is in the area of encouragement. My life mission is to use that gift, follow biblical examples like Jonathan in the Old Testament, Barnabas in the New Testament, and of course the Good Samaritan is a primo example of what encouragement looks like. Now, is this something that you've struggled with in your life, or do you think that it's just something that you've been called to disciple others in, in grasping onto this? I would say it's something that I've been called to encourage others to do, and it's been a real privilege of mine during my ministry, uh, especially in recent days. Uh, Kathy and I have just come back from two, uh, two weeks in India, oh, wow. and uh, we literally had the opportunity uh, from the western side of India all the way to the eastern border with Bangladesh uh, to work with some seminary and Bible college people and encourage them in the hard times they're facing and also to train them in how to disciple and how to encourage others. I do think people have struggled with the art of uh, encouragement, and I think one of the reasons for that is like the priest in the Levite in Jesus' day, people are busy. In fact, all of us are busy. I've struggled with that. Uh, We also tend to be focused on ourselves. And the other thing, Jim, I think we don't like interruptions. Uh, And the reality is, I think we need to be interruptible. And uh, being neighborly involves being interruptible. Uh, I mean, those are powerful, powerful words. And I just... I think we need to dig deep into the root of the issue. I think just basically, we Martha and I joke as we work with a lot of married couples. Martha, we we spend a lot of time with them when they have little kids, and and a lot of parents think, "Oh, my kid's just a little perfect." I said, "No, your kid was born sinful. <laughs> you will not have to teach your child to be selfish. You will not have to teach your kid to be prideful. You will not have to teach your kid to be disobedient." All of those things come naturally. Yeah, you don't have to teach them the word no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> true of grandchildren, too, by the way. That's yeah. true. Yeah, Although but, we are a little, you get a little more biased when it's the grandkids. Yeah, when it's right? a grandkids, you're like, <laughs> yeah, oh, well, you know, that's just, But But when I, when I look at that, I really think it's just that by nature, we're selfish people. Mm-hmm. And being a good neighbor, taking 
time to be a good Samaritan, as he was called the good neighbor. I mean, if just it is inconvenient to and and ministry is messy. Well, I love what Don just said, where he said that it a lot of times when you're um, doing things in the neighborhood, it requires interruption. You could be, you know, planning to change your oil in your driveway and your car, and you see a need that you need to act on. It's going to interrupt you from what your plans were, but that's the opportunity that a neighborhood mm. gives. So being willing you know, to Martha, be interrupted. That's- yeah, I just had an example of that, Martha. I just uh, pulled in, picked up a sandwich to eat a bite of lunch before calling in to talk with you guys. And a good friend who took a nasty fall earlier this week and who was facing the prospect of surgery for a torn meniscus called me. And I looked at my uh, call ID and said, you know, I need to take this call. I don't need to worry about this sandwich. I don't need to worry about preparing for the interview. God will take care of those things. I need to be interruptible and practice what I'm going to preach on this program. (laughs) The good news is he's not going to have to have the surgery. He's going to have some physical therapy. And and, uh, so we're encouraged. We're able to pray together. And and I'm here on the show. That is perfect. And you'll be hungry, but you can eat later, right? right. (laughs) It's only an hour. Believe me, I haven't missed a meal in in decades. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we're not going to talk about that on today's show. But that's that's a great example because so many of us, you know, it's easy now with um, the ability to, to, um, you know, ignore a phone call and not take it to not allow that inconvenient or messy. We often say, you know, dealing with people is messy. And it doesn't mean that that's negative. It just takes time. It takes energy. And being willing to do that. But I love the whole thing about the the parables are because Jesus knew we needed to be taught some lessons. So he Mm. gave us opportunities to learn from him how to be who he wants us to be. And that's what I love that we're going to talk about today. I think really the question, Don and Martha, is why should we be focused on becoming a good neighbor? What's the significance of that, Don? Well, the answer to that question is, is something Jesus told the Good Samaritan to do. And uh, he told the man who basically raised the question, who is my neighbor, uh, told him to do. He pointed to the Good Samaritan as an example when he said, you go and do likewise. I mean, that drove it home for us, and certainly it drove it home for me. It's a mandate. It's not an option. I mean, it's not, uh, you know, something I can choose to do or choose not to do. It's a mandate for me. I'm to love my neighbor as myself. And that means getting involved in my neighbor's life. It, it means observing what's going on. It means genuinely caring. And it means taking action on what I see and being there for that neighbor. I think, Martha, as we talk about it so often as it relates to the workplace, understanding what it really means to be a Christ father in the workplace, like being part of the I Work for Am Nation. I mean, mm-hmm. it, we, we ask people to pray for those people they work alongside by yeah. name each and every day. And then we ask for them to look for ways to serve people and befriend people and look for ways to pray with people, but all along being a person of excellence. And that's being a good neighbor. Well, right. And I think a lot of people don't even think about the fact that their coworkers, employees, their vendors, those are their neighbors. That's who they are neighboring with on a daily basis. So is the gas station attendant, the person that served on his Starbucks coffee, Oh, I'm, just, I'm leaving that one alone. I'm leaving it alone. You weren't supposed to bring that up, Jim. Uh-huh. Well, you know, it's that same person as the guy ba- guy or gal bagging your your uh, groceries or some of the, the person cutting your lawn. Those, Every one of those are our neighbors. Don, talk to me about the culture that this 
parable was told with him because as I understand Middle Eastern culture, I mean, it yeah. is, it's all about deep relationships uh, and, and honor. So, but how, what was the culture that Jesus was really telling, talking about this neighbor? Cause it seems like maybe there was something else going on there. Well, there was Jim. And I think as long as a person looked like them came from their racial background, was not an undesirable or a deplorable in today's words, a part of the basket of deplorables, uh, then it was okay to be a good neighbor to them. You know, the priest came by and uh, didn't check on this guy. The Levite came by, didn't check on this guy. And there were a lot of things involved in that. But the remarkable thing is Jesus had the hero as a Samaritan. And the Samaritan background was they were people of mixed race, uh, they were not strictly Jews, they were not strictly Gentiles, and in fact, at the end of the story, and Jesus said, uh, who did the right thing, the guy couldn't even say the Samaritan, he had to say the one who showed mercy. Mm-hmm. So obviously there was a great deal of prejudice involved, and I think that same thing is a factor in our day and time today. Yeah, and I love the way you threw in that basket of deplorables because I am a proud member of that basket of deplorables. <laughs> yeah, but it is it is true. But yet we have found that divide in our country. You know, you're you're conservative, you're liberal, and they and they and they want to label you instead of going, "I'm human, you're human." Yeah. It, it I was reviewing I was reviewing the story of Chuck Colson the other day. I'd written about his conversion in another book I did that we talked about, Never Give Up. Mm-hmm. And there was, uh, you know, we, he was part of a very conservative uh, and yet very outlawed White House, and yet he was led to Christ by a couple of very liberal senators uh, who had an impact on his life. And I thought to myself, you know, what a great example for us that politics are not the issue here. Race is not the issue here. When I was in India, there are people from a number of different castes there, and there used to be a real rigid caste system. There still are the Dalits there, and that word means untouchables. And and yet many of those people are having an impact even to some of the higher classes. And, and again, applying principles based on the story of the Good Samaritan. So, we, well, you know, we do that even in our own neighborhoods. Take, for instance... Um, you have somebody who's renting the home next to you as opposed to owning it. And we look at them differently, maybe that, oh, they're just a renter, you know, or the different ways that we cast judgment when in fact, you know, we looking at people as a neighbor, no matter what their um, status is, no matter what they're doing, no matter how they're serving you and you're paying them for something, you know, like you were saying that the gas station or different things like that. But understanding that, you know, we talk a lot, Jim, lately about seeking to understand where people are coming from and knowing that it may be the least likely that actually teach us the best lessons. Mm. Well, that seeking to understand thing, that comes and slaps me upside the face a lot. Just because I'm a talker, not a listener. I got to learn. I'm, I'm working on my listening degree in the next couple of years. All right. So Don- I was reminded the other day, speaking of that, of the principle of James 1 about being quick to listen, slow to speak, mm. and slow to anger, James one nineteen, And uh, somebody made the observation, God gave us two ears and only one mouth. <laughs> and uh, maybe we need to listen twice as much as we speak. Yeah, That's amen. convicting to me. Yes, pretty, it's very convicting. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I probably need to listen four times more than I need to speak, because I speak, I speak on average way more than most people. All right, so what's the biggest reason people give or display that keeps them from being a good neighbor? What are some of the things that you uh, noted here in the book? Well, I think number one is I'm busy. I, I'm just, uh, my schedule is so cram full. 
And I think that's one factor. Uh, another big factor is uh, that person is different from me, and I'm not sure I have enough in common to really get involved in his or her life. And, mm. and uh, maybe they don't fit my personality. Uh, you know, one of the big issues in our part of the world today is maybe they come from a different religious background. Uh, my daughter and son-in-law live in a neighborhood that's uh, very strongly Muslim, and a lot of Islamic people there, they've had the opportunity to reach out, and, and my daughter's been doing this for decades. In fact, both of my daughters have. One daughter actually had a Muslim friend of hers in her wedding, uh, which actually gave me the opportunity to share the gospel with her entire family since they came to check her out, you know, in the wedding. <laughs> oh, but so the you, bottom line you backdoored him with the gospel. I love yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, a golden opportunity. I wasn't going to pass it up. <laughs> but I, I think some of those factors uh, keep us from being a good neighbor. And then sometimes, oh, that person doesn't fit my personality. He's different from me. She's different from me. We don't like the same things. We don't have the same hobbies. Uh, they have young children. I don't. I'm a grandparent, yada, yada, yada. And, and on and on and on. A lot of different things, but the busy factor is one of the biggest in our day and time. You know, what do you think? I mean, in, let's let's turn this conversation to the workplace for just a second here, because a lot yeah. of us, we work alongside, we spend, most of us spend more time working with people than we do with our family. I mean, yeah. certainly waking hours. And, but yet a lot of us really struggle with being good neighbors at work. What is what are some of the excuses we use in not being a good neighbor at work? Well, you know, Jim, we go to seminars often that tell us how to be more productive at work, how to be more focused, how to be more goal-oriented. And all of those things can be good things in themselves if they're not taken to an extreme. Uh, but I think sometimes we see others as interrupting us. We read the time management books that talk about being, you know, being really locked into what we're doing. And I think we have to also be intentional about others. Uh, you know, you mentioned praying for others, praying for people that we work with. Uh, I've found that to be absolutely critical, both for friends and for people I work with. Um, somebody asked me the other day, said, how are you enjoying retirement? I said, well, I have three things that I'm doing during retirement. I'm working on relaunching radio. I'm working on the Life Coaching Network, and I'm also an interim pastor. And in both of those environments, I have people that I'm working with, and, and I'm praying for those people intentionally. I'm checking up on those people intentionally. And I want to remember something that a good friend told me years ago. People are more important than projects. And I think that's critical oh, wow. uh, in the workplace to remember that people are more valuable, more important than projects. Mm, those are powerful words. All right. So let's talk about some personal examples of things that have kept us from being good neighbors. Martha and I live in a neighborhood with probably the majority of which are uh, the retirees. And oftentimes we hear, you guys are always so busy. You're, you're, you're never around. We get the busy thing a lot from our neighbors. We get, But we get correction from our neighbors. They're like, um, we want to spend time with you, but you're never around. <laughs> and, of course, our work gets in the way because we have jobs. Because we're still they're yeah, right. in the workforce. Yeah, they're retiring. But what about you, Don? What's, what are some of the things that you – what are some of the things that have kept you from being a good neighbor? Well, obviously, busyness is one of them. I, I've really had to work on that and become intentional about it. Um, you know, and I, I think sometimes just this whole issue of finding people that we're compatible with. 
you know, it's much easier to spend time with believers. It's much easier to spend time with people that have the same uh, doctrinal perspective, the same philosophy of life, the same love for the Savior. And and yet I feel like it's important for me and for Kathy, and we both agreed with this, that we reach out to people from a different background, from different culture. One of the reasons that we love going to India and ministering in India is it gets us out of our comfort zone, and uh, because it's very easy to just stay locked into a comfort zone. Uh, we had a, a family gathering uh, Easter Sunday afternoon, and we had a number of people that were invited by family members that weren't even a part, a direct part of our family, and some of them not believers. And what a great opportunity that was just to be with them and to ask about them and to learn about them, and not necessarily to beat them over the head with the gospel, but to begin to build relationships with them. Mm -hmm. You know what? You made me think of something in one of our favorite books that's been around for quite a while, favorite in the way that it hits us over the head, is the book about margin by Bob Swenson. Oh, yes. I think this really fits into the conversation because of the fact that um, we actually— need to build that margin into our lives so that we have room for our neighbors and for this but, intentionality. Yeah, and I think being intentional is uh, takes advantage of margin. If we have no margin, we can't be intentional, and we can't even be interruptible. Mm-hmm. We can't allow for interruptions if we don't build in margin. Uh, we can't take the time to call and check on friends or reach out to them or do anything that would be uh, in the category of being a good neighbor uh, if we're at the point of uh, stress to the breaking point because we have no margin. Well, well, I was, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, so you take that into the workplace and the fact that, you know, if you don't ever take lunch and you don't ever go in the lunchroom and you don't ever rub shoulders with your coworkers, where do you get to be neighborly? You know, so you need to build that in. Well, a lot of us are guilty of working through lunch and working through breaks and never taking time yeah. while we're at work. You know, what I loved about uh, Robert Swenson's book on margin is that when he first came out, it was like 230 pages, and then he re-released it and it was down to like 150. So he created yeah. margin in his book, <laughs> and the print was significantly bigger. So it was like half as much stuff. It was great. All right, we're talking with Don Hawkins today. He wrote this book, Friends Indeed, Recovering the Lost Art of Being a Good Neighbor. And as you tune in with us near after the bottom of the half hour, you have to be asking yourself, am I a good neighbor? Am I, am I really a good neighbor? Do I, do I exercise being neighbor? I, I, here's one of the things that's staggering. Martha and I have taught small groups, led Bible studies, done dozens, a, a dozen or so marriage retreats. I'm amazed at the conversations we have with people when we ask them this question, do you know your neighbors? Do you know the people that live behind you? Do you know the people that live in front of you? To the right or to the left, kitty corner to you, or catty corner, depending on which part of the country you're from. Or in the cul-de-sac. Or, or in the cul-de-sac, anywhere in the circle that you live in, or if it's square, whatever it may be. Do you know the people that you share life with? And I am astounded at how few people know their neighbors. And since most of you sit in the same spot in church every week, do you know the people you sit next to, sit behind, sit in front of? Do you know those people? It, We've lost Don Hawkins. We have lost the art of being a good neighbor because they took the front porches off of houses and put back decks on. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And they put fences around the backyards uh. and the side yards. And all of those things contribute to the fact that 
Nobody knows their neighbors anymore. There rarely are opportunities to get together. And, you know, with summer being just around the corner, this is a great time to be thinking about how to be intentional with my neighbors. There's a community swimming pool. There's a community picnic. If there's just an opportunity, go for a walk and maybe stop and talk with your neighbors on the sidewalk. Uh, you know, there's some ways to be intentional about that and, and hopefully cultivate some relationships in the process. And those relationships, we will never get the opportunity. Here, I just use the word never, Martha. You're supposed to be correcting me. We will most likely almost never get the opportunity to share our faith in Jesus if we're not neighborly. The people aren't going to, they're not going to go, hey, I noticed something different about you. Tell me what's going on. They're not going to know. If they don't know yet, they're not going to know. I mean, you got to have conversations. And if all you do is work with people and you don't take time to have lunch and all you do is work with people and you never do anything outside of work, like have people over for dinner, they're never going to know you're really different because they got to hear your words. They got to hear your heart. I just made a note for myself in my phone because one of the things that we enjoy doing in our neighborhood and we haven't done for a while is a potluck. And when we do potlucks... Everybody loves it that comes, and not and everybody comes. Is so the good. food is always good, and the fellowship is great, and it just gives us a reason to, you know, sometimes you got to put it on the calendar, and that's one way to mm-hmm. do it. And um, I just made myself a note. I'm like, we got to plan another potluck. Don, I loved how in the book you summarize the law and the prophets even more. Yeah, love God wholeheartedly, love people unconditionally. Uh, Six words, very short, sweet, and to the point. Why is it so hard to love people unconditionally? Well, I think there are a lot of factors. Uh, Years ago, I had a friend say to me, Don, I love you unconditionally as long as you perform. (laughs) And this guy was real honest. Uh, The reality is we all have expectations for people. Mm -hmm. And as long as people are meeting our expectations, uh, we can find it fairly easy to love them. Uh, But, you know, it's interesting. Jesus said in the upper room in John 13, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. And John, who was leaning on Jesus' breast when he said that, said in 1 John uh, that we're not to love in word, but in deed and in truth. We we demonstrate love by taking time. We demonstrate love, uh, again, scheduling those potlucks like you were talking about, Martha, uh, we just schedule one of those for our church for a couple of weeks from now. And, uh, you know, I think, again, it's very important that we have those kinds of opportunities. Uh, but again, intentionality is so much a part of that. Uh, choosing to love. Love is a choice. Love is a decision. Love is not just a feeling, not just an emotion. Uh, it really comes down to I'm willing to put that other person and their interest and their concerns ahead of mine. Well, you know, but let's twist this a little bit more, because we aren't just called to love people unconditionally. It goes a little deeper than that. We're, we're, yeah. we're actually called to love our enemies. Oh, <laughs> now you're getting real convicting. And, and, you know, this comes back to the workplace, Jim, because there are a lot of people who go by the motto, it's hard to soar with like an eagle when you work with turkeys. And uh, there are a lot of people who have turkeys they're working with. A lot of people have the boss from the bottomless pit of the abyss. Didn't Harvey and, McKay uh, write a book like that, Soaring with Eagles? Yeah, I think, yeah. I think so. Yeah, I, I believe you're right. Uh, and, and even to love our competitors. You know, sometimes maybe we're working in a business or in a uh, an endeavor where somebody else is in competition. I believe God wants us to love of those people as well. 
and and it's critical that we be willing to do that. I mean, uh, again, in fact, I used the illustration one time in a marriage uh, counseling situation. I was a pastor at the time, and this couple came in, and the guy made the statement. He said, I don't love my wife anymore. He said, I don't care any more about her than I do the lady next door. So, well, the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, no, you don't understand. She's more like an enemy. And I replied, well, Jesus said, love your enemies. So, you know, you really aren't off the hook no matter what you say. No, we have a very high calling for loving people. I mean, they're going to know us by our love. And yet, as Christ followers, I think that's really where it comes into that whole Romans 12-2 transition, where we've got to stop copying the behaviors Mm -hmm. and customs of this world, because it's so easy to get wrapped up in the vitriol between political Mm -hmm. parties, the vitriol between, you know, people of different color. I won't call them racist, because we're all descendants of the same two people yeah we need to make that clear because we all are part of the human race but we have lots of cultural differences but but martha you want to look like you want to say something i do i'm you know i think in in applying this back to the workplace a lot of times we end up in conflict with our co-workers either over a project how they didn't you know do what they were supposed to do or maybe they took a vacation day right before a deadline and put the pressure on you whatever it might be or maybe they just have that kind of personality that might rub you the wrong way. Those are great examples of where we need to intentionally, like you said, you know, love on them and be who we are supposed to be as Jesus to the to our coworkers. Because what's yeah. going to make a bigger statement to them? Because nobody else in, around them would be doing that. Don, what does it really look practically? What does it look like to love our enemies? Well, there are two scriptures, Jim, that really nail this, and I mention these in Friends Indeed. Uh, One's from the Old Testament, Exodus 23, verses 4 and 5. It says, if you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to take it back to him. Mm -hmm. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you falling down under its load, don't leave it there. Be sure you help him with it. And now that's really convicting because you and I don't have donkeys today. But if your your enemy's car breaks down by the side of the road, reach out and help him. If he's changing a tire, give him a hand. And then Solomon reminded Israel in Proverbs 25, if your enemy's hungry, give him food to eat. If mm-hmm. he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. And that's repeated by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. So I think the bottom line is we have to look for opportunities even with people who are not only different from us, but people that we don't like and who may not like us, uh, to show them the kind of love that Jesus Christ showed for us. I mean, after all, Romans 5 says we were enemies. Christ died for us, demonstrated his love for us, and we have that responsibility and opportunity as well. We're talking today with Don Hawkins, who wrote this incredible book a few years ago called Friends Indeed. Don Hawkins, write this book, Recovering the Lost Art of Being a Good Neighbor. If you want to get a copy, just email me, jim at iworkforhim.com, jim at iwork, the number four, him.com. Don, you said in the book, where are the good Samaritans today? They've been paralyzed by indifference, slowed down by selfishness, sidetracked by greed. That, I thought, was a little harsh. (laughs) Can you back it up? Yes, actually, I have four illustrations in the introduction to the book that I think sort of make the case. One is a story about a lady named Tina Hayes who was mugged in Crown Heights neighborhood in Brooklyn, and she was laying on a sidewalk bleeding to death, 
and several people saw her and turned away and weren't willing to get involved. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> then there was a lady with her mother stranded on a freeway in suburban Dallas, and nobody would stop to help. Uh, another guy, Gerald, was a diabetic, uh, went into insulin shock in the Chicago airport. Uh, nobody came along, and he wound up uh, almost dying as a result. Oh, and then I had a guy named Richard who called in on Life Perspectives, basically said, I've tried everything. When I reach out to other people, nobody seems interested interested in mm-hmm. reaching out back to me. Uh, I think there are examples like this, Jim, that indicate this. Obviously, there are exceptions to this, and it's easy to generalize, but I think indifference, selfishness, and greed are big factors in our society today. There are others as well. Well, that and our favorite TV shows on it of being convenient, we might miss it. Mm. Oh, my word, now you're getting convicting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that yeah might be it's so easy to say, well, I have to, I have to watch this. Of course, you could always TiVo your TV show and take some time for the neighbors during that slot. I'm not sure they have TiVo anymore, Don. They have DVRs, just straight DVRs. Oh, but you're it's a, right. Everybody just, has a DVR. That's okay. It's okay. I well, just, I'm a little older, Jim. You understand. I'm still. I don't have a BlackBerry though. I'm. I'm I at least have a. Uh, shall we say uh, an iPhone? And you didn't say VCR. You get at least VCR. You didn't say that. Oh, so that man. was good. Yeah, so, I would really have dated myself there. You, I've always wondered how can one d- date oneself? Okay. Anyway. Okay. So oh, how do goodness, we? Oh, but sorry. I'm but I'm trying. Wasn't that a line on airplane? I think. Okay. So how that can we good. become effective lovers of others? Yeah, that is ultimately the question that we're asking here. And I think we have to understand what love is. First of all, love is a choice. It's uh, it's not simply an emotion. It's I'm choosing to, to love. It, it's an act of the will. And, and not only is it an act of the will, love moves into action. We demonstrate our love in action. And, and I think we, we uh, have to wind up practicing things like loyalty, for example. Uh, I think that's a critical element of love. One of my best friends for many, many years was an individual who was incredibly loyal. Now, he was willing to speak the truth in love, and I think we have to be willing to do that as well. Uh, Nathan was an example of somebody who genuinely loved David, but he went to him, lovingly confronted him. Barnabas is an example, and there, there are four examples from Barnabas's life uh, of what love looks like and encouragement. Uh, generosity. Remember when they had the the needs in the church in Jerusalem? He actually sold his uh, land, the equivalent of cashing in his IRA, his 401k, and he gave all that money to the church. Mm. He was loyal to the Apostle Paul when the church in Jerusalem didn't want to let him in. Uh, he was humble when he was in Antioch, and, and uh, uh, he invited Paul in, and they started off as a team. They were Barnabas and Paul and then they became Paul and Barnabas. And then finally, he was willing to give John Mark a second chance when even Paul wasn't willing to do that. I think we can become effective lovers of others by studying people like Barnabas, like Jonathan in the Old Testament, even a guy named Ebed Melech, who appears in the book of Jeremiah and was a great friend to Jeremiah and actually wound up saving his life. You know, I think that one of the things that gets in the way, though, of us doing the things that Barnabas did is those of us that have unresolved bitterness and hurt and pain, those things cloud our judgment, also preoccupy our minds, and also distract us from being good neighbors. As we talk today, 
with Don Hawkins. He's written a great book about the Good Samaritan. What does it really mean to be a friend? What is it, you know, recovering the lost art of being a good neighbor? And so many of us have, we struggle with this. We have, maybe we haven't seen it demonstrated, but Martha, you had somebody in your life that did a really good job of demonstrating what it's like to be a good neighbor. And today may be a special day. That's right. So today is my mom's birthday, and I want to say a very special happy birthday to her, Elaine Haynes. And, you know, just in reflecting on this conversation, I have to say that my parents have been an incredible example of what a good neighbor is, always opening our homes, having people come in for meals, giving meals to people when they need it, opening our guest room for someone to stay with us for a time if that's what they need, or just doing whatever to go above and beyond. And that's the kind of home I was raised in. And I just want to say thank you and a very happy birthday to my mom. Yeah. Happy birthday, Elaine. All right. So Don, I said before the break that I wanted to ask you this question, how does bitterness, anger, pain, how does that keep us from being a good neighbor? Why are those unresolved issues? Why do they get in our way? Jim, it's a lot like having a bad toothache. Uh, It just really interferes with almost everything, but particularly anything that winds up taking the focus away from ourselves and on others. A lot of people live with pain. Uh, About a week into our trip to India, I began developing a toothache, and uh, not knowing the level of dental care in India, I decided to wait until I got back to the States, and then it took me about a week to get an appointment with my dentist. But the reality is, it is hard to focus on almost anything When you're dealing with bitterness from the past, and bitterness is unresolved anger, perhaps over abuse, perhaps over bullying, something that's happened to us in the past, and uh, we've allowed it to fester in our lives, and it really hinders us having any kind of a focus toward others or reaching out to others. Mm -hmm. I think the more we resolve our hurts, our bitterness, the freer we are uh, to love others and to encourage them. You know, we all know somebody who's a little bitter, a little angry. Maybe somebody that's older that is just, they're just, they seem cranky. One of the greatest way to touch those people, though, is to actually start loving them unconditionally. Like like the Lord said, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, what's really struggle, what I struggle with, and this is kind of funny, and I, I, I asked the question based on reading something in your book, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but ministry often gets in the way of keeping people from being a priority. Ministry often keeps us from being good neighbors. How how in the world does that happen? Well, well, you, at, you've been a pastor. Yeah, well, the, you know, in the, in the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus had two ministry professionals. Mm-hmm. He had a priest and he had a Levite. And, and they were very involved. They were vocational ministry people. And they both passed by on the other side. The Levite came over and looked and then left. And I think sometimes in ministry today, we focus on goals and tasks. It's a little bit like what we talked about in terms of the workplace in general. Uh, We just get locked in on those things, and everything is about getting things done. And again, people are more important than things. Uh, In the ministry today, I think in a lot of instances, churches have followed the model of a pastor being the CEO as opposed to the under-shepherd. And uh, it's interesting, as I'm working as an interim pastor with this church, we're in the process of accumulating resumes, and we'll spend time continuing to go through those until we narrow the field down. Uh, But I'm noticing some people uh, have a real orientation toward goals and sort of a CEO model for pastoral ministry. And a couple of people have pointed out, my model for ministry is to be an under-shepherd of the Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of it. We, We have to not let the modern definition of work 
get in the way of the biblical definition of ministry. Mm-hmm. Well, we had, Jim, we had a pastor just this last week tell us that he was on his way to church on a Sunday morning to preach a sermon, saw somebody on the side of the road that needed help changing the tire, pulled over and helped that person before he went on and preached his sermon and risked being late for church. And dirty. And dirty. Yep. And, and yep. that is a good example of not letting ministry get in the way of neighboring. And most people you know, think he's crazy for having done that, but that he spoke. And then, of course, maybe he invited the woman to church. He didn't tell us that part. <laughs> yeah, that's a wonderful example, Martha. And I was mm-hmm. thinking about Jesus coming from Jericho to Jerusalem. He was on his way to die on the cross and pay for our sins, the mm-hmm. sins of the world. And blind Bartimaeus and another blind guy called out and said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. He could have very easily said, guys, I'm here to fulfill the will of my Father. I don't right. have time for you guys. Right. And and yet he stopped and, and he cured those blind men of their yes, blindness. Yes, he did. Yes, then he, he went did. on to Jerusalem. Don, how can people track your progress towards getting Encouragement Live on the radio this year? Is there a website people can follow? Well, right now we don't have a website up for that, but we're working on it. And I want to encourage uh, people, your listeners especially, to pray for us. In the process, I'll be praying for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, pray that God will remove all the obstacles. Uh, pray that people will allow us to get back on the radio with Encouragement Live. It's such and, a great tool and for we will do that, as you know. We will do that. Don Hawkins, thanks so much for sharing your book with us, Friends Indeed. It was awesome. Thanks, Don. God bless, guys. Appreciate thanks, you Don. both. All right. Thanks for listening to I Work For Him today. Great conversation. Mm -hmm. Don't lose the art of neighboring. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace, it's our mission field. But ultimately, I I work work for him. him.